Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 61 of 2, 5, and 10. Benny, we have said it has been quiet lately. Quiet no more. The NHL has been unraveling over the past week. What up, big fella? The Rick Nash episode, and yeah, we got a firing for hockey reasons, and we got a firing for unknown, but we're going to guess of unhockey-related uh, issues. So Now uh, it's a party. Yeah, got a lot to cover. All right. Um, week so far, all, all good? Yeah, not too bad. Just trying to get get myself to this podcast to let my feelings out on some things here instead of just uh, basically forcing the first lady to hear all of it over, all over again. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I spoke to you via text, and I could tell via text that you were pretty fired up. So I am ready to get into it. Um, I guess we will start with... Well, not the latest firing, because there was one that happened right after him, but I, I'd say the biggest uh, the biggest investigation behind it. We have Jim Montgomery, season two in Dallas, already fired. What are your thoughts on all that, the whole investigation, Jim Mill coming out, kind of an awkward press conference? What, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I mean... So he made it clear it had nothing to do with on-ice performance, uh, especially since the team turned a year around uh, after their early season struggles. He said it had nothing to do or little to do, I forget the exact quote, with uh, the issues that arose with the Bill Peters firing, but he wasn't going to get into the specifics out of respect for uh, Jim Montgomery's family and also the accuser, so they can stay anonymous. Uh, but he did say it was a breach of professionalism and breach of conduct that's expected by Dallas Stars employees. So if it's not hockey-related and it's not something that crosses a line like Bill Peters did, even though that was 10 years ago, in terms of uh, physical abuse or uh, racial utterances, that doesn't leave many options, does there? Uh, no, I, I think me and you are on the same path. Yeah, it kind of feels like uh, he might have made a attempted a pass or did something with a female employee. What do you think? I think so, too. And the only thing about this is now he's tarnished. So no matter where he goes, this is going to be the first conversation. What happened? Yep. Unfortunately for him, it's not just what happened here that you got fired. Now you got to go home and deal with your wife on the other end, your wife, your kids, your family. So it's like now you have to explain to them whatever your infidelities are. If it's even infidelities, I mean, I think it has to be. You think it has to be. I think we're on to something. Do you think he coaches in the NHL again? I mean, there hasn't really been any firings outside of the Bill Peters one where it's been like due to personal conduct, you are now no longer employed. Yeah. So for me, it all depends on, and even if what happened doesn't come out publicly, um, he's going to have to try and explain the situation when he's talking to a future GM, a future team owner that he's potentially interviewing to be the head coach for. Um, and it all depends on what that context is. And I got to be honest, I'm not saying it's right. There are a lot of assholes in sports. There are a lot of drug abusers, alcohol abusers, cheaters, you name it. That's, if it's one of those things, 
that's not going to prevent him from getting a job. It's not like he crossed the line where he's lost the respect of the team that he's going to be coaching uh, because of how he handled players or on-ice performance. It's not something where he's putting the team in jeopardy, especially if he you know, has remorse for what he did and understands uh, that it's unacceptable. So if it's any of the things, it could be substance abuse, who knows? Like, I'm not, I think we're both in agreement on since another employee reached out to Jim Nill and told him, made a complaint, that it has to be something that uh, associates that second person with. So that's why we're kind of leaning towards a female employee or somebody. Um, I I wouldn't think, unless he like did something horrendous to this potential female, that he would be barred from coaching again. I just realized I completely dropped the ball on the intro song. And it should have been, it's not right, but it's okay. I'm gonna make so so I just realized that. I might I might have to switch that around after. But one random story that I have and we can laugh about this together. And I mean some people may not think it's funny. I think it's funny. Who gives a shit about them? Yeah, I mean like I think it's funny thinking about it after. So a friend of mine Someone in his family was pregnant, and they worked at a local university. Uh, She went into the break room, and there was a male employee. And they were at the coffee machine, and the company was out of milk. So I believe the statement was, oh, there's no milk left in the fridge. And then the Uh male employee then pointed to her and said, well, you have plenty. (laughs) <laughs> uh, needless to say, he was then terminated the next day. I, I think some people, depending on personalities, would have taken that in stride and would have giggled and would have been like, you're a fucking asshole. Uh, obviously, I mean, that could have been the pregnancy hormones that were not playing that game and very understandably so. I mean, if it was my wife, I wouldn't have been as happy. But uh, d- just hearing that story, I did get a chuckle out of it. So I figured you'd bring a little bit of light to the situation. But there's yeah, nothing I mean- funny about sexual harassment. I mean, see, that's the thing. Were those two friends, like, good friends? I That I don't know. I, I Like, I, I don't know the background behind it all that. He just told me the, the person. Actually, you went to school with him, too. So I'll leave it at that. He may like the penguins. But uh, it's someone in his family, and that was the story he told me. So. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, I was about to say, because I have... Uh, like female friends or friends of Anna's that I've gotten close with that I would feel comfortable making that joke with and they would just know I was kidding. But if it was just like two coworkers, like that guy's fucking idiots. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the way, way to waste your pension there, buddy. Good, good job. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, do you think he gets another opportunity? I don't know because I just think it. we need the truth to surface to actually make a complete assessment on it. So with that, the way Jim Nill had that con- that press conference as to the complete and under conduct, blah, 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 I-, I don't think this was after a game the coaches were at a bar on a, on a away game and, and had too much to drink. I don't think it's this. Obviously, yeah. I think it's a lot more serious. Um, according to the Spit and Chicklets podcast, Biz Nasty knows the reason why he got fired. He says he believes he will get another head coaching job, just not in the NHL. Um, as to what, who, what, where, when, why, he was a very good 
college hockey coach. Would a college university now bring him in and tarnish their name? I don't know. I think he's in a very tough spot, just kind of the way Bill Peters was. But yet again, we don't know the whole story yet, which makes it very difficult to assume whether he will or won't. Yeah, I mean, and I know it was an awkward press conference, and it's kind of sucks for observers like us to not know all the details, but I do give a lot of respect to the STARS organization for if there has to be an upcoming tough conversation between Montgomery and his family that Jim Montgomery is going to be the one to break that news to him and not the media or the STARS organization by having a press conference and announcing it. So I do give a lot of respect to the STARS for doing that. Yeah, agreed. And uh, like you said, it was extremely awkward, but yeah, I think Jim nailed now kind of handed it to Montgomery in a sense as to you can now go on and do as you wish. I'm not tainting you. I'm not tarnishing you. You know, wherever this takes you, it takes you. I'm not telling anybody, you know, I talked to ownership. I talked to the board of governors. That was it. Everything stays in house. You're gone, you know, best with your career. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think that Dallas did it the best way that they could. And also, what do you think the stars from an on-ice uh, point of view go from here? I know Rick Bonus is taking over. Uh, he last coached full-time in 1998 for the Islanders. I know he didn't had an interim tag. I think it was interim for the Phoenix Coyotes in 2003-2004, so it's been a little bit. Um, they won their first game with him as head coach, so is it, I think he's just trying to make this business as usual. I'm assuming business as usual. Hardest part for him is probably going to be going from being an assistant coach, being with the guys in a sense, because as an assistant coach, you can go and talk to the guy. Hey, you go out last night. Where'd you go? You know, basic conversation to now kind of switching it around to the other way. Granted, I mean, Rick Bonus has a ton of experience, whether it's head coaching and or being an assistant, been an assistant for years in the league. Um, I don't think he's really... Yeah, like I, I don't think he's really going to have that much of an issue per se, especially with that lineup. I think now it's just kind of keeping the guys above water and just, you know, making them write their own ship, being very clear as to what you need, what you want. Because, l- like I said, that light switch from assistant coach to head coach, it's definitely different. But which way will the players best respond to you? Yeah. No, get ready for this segue. You ready? Mm-hmm. Speaking about staying above water, let's move to the San Jose Sharks. Oh, laid it on me. Um, <laughs> I'll go. Not surprised. Uh, Pete DeBoer fired. Did not like the start. I didn't like the roster to begin with yep. this whole season. I, I've said that. I, I, I'll say it again. Uh, it seemed like they kind of right the ship there for a little bit. That they were they were very hot, and then kind of started skidding a little bit. The only thing to me is. They, they made this very clear. This is strictly for hockey reasons, nothing else, no background, which is crazy that they now have to announce. I know they have to make that announcement. But to me, Doug Wilson has to wear this a little bit too because this is by far the worst Sharks lineup that they've had in years. And yep. to gas DeBoer, who I think is a very good coach, mind you, to gas DeBoer as to it was his fault or something else is – to me, I, I don't think it's called for. I, I think Doug Wilson has to look in the mirror. I don't think he will, but I, I think he has to in the sense of the lineup that you've put in front of him 
all the past years before that he's been there till now is not even close. Yeah. So with that, I mean, are there some of the same characters? Yes. Could DeBoer have manipulated them a little bit better to be a little bit more focused? Yeah, I'm sure he could have. But at the same time, I don't think he's going to change his coaching style due to that. And with that, I just think that Doug Wilson put him in a bad spot and Dougie Wilson took the easy way out and fired DeBoer. Yeah, yeah, he's not going to fire himself. But I do think he owes, at least if he hasn't already, when he made the announcement or the phone call to DeBoer, an apology for not doing his best uh, job as GM to put a complete team at Pete DeBoer's disposal here. Uh, like you said, you didn't like the roster at the end of the summer. I was I was inclined to agree with you, but they kind of were the patriots of the NHL for me where I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise. Well, now we're proven otherwise. Um, but if, to me, I think it boils down to three issues. And you're going to see none of these have anything to do with coaching. Goaltending has been the same shit that's been run out there the last three years with the same result, and there's been no change to it. That's on the GM. They let Pavelski go, which was a huge loss for this team. A lot of the young guys that, or a few of the young guys that were expected to kind of fill in for him by committee haven't developed. That's on the GM. And then the regression of Eric Carlson and Brent Burns. Brent Burns is more so, I think, due to um, all the wear and tear on his legs and then losing uh, Pavelski in front on a power play. Um, Carlson, I don't know why they gave him that contract. Even when they signed that, I thought it was a terrible contract because he's a one-dimensional, soft offensive defenseman, and they're on a hook for the next half decade. So that's on a GM as well. So I know DeBoer could have done better in terms of maybe incorporating some of the young guys into the lineup because I know he does, at this point with this Sharks roster, lean on his veterans a little, a little bit. But to me, this just boils back to goaltending and letting your captain go. And that's on Dougie Wilson. I know we're be foreshadowing or looking really far ahead with this, but I just want to talk about it now. Say end of season, they fire Dougie Wilson. That next GM that goes in there, he has a hell of a time because not only are they already strapped with certain contracts, but trying to unload certain guys and trying to get people in there that you want, like... You're in for it, and you're in for it big time, too. Yeah, this is your core. This is what you're going to have for the next few years. Yeah, I don't think that's that's a good thing there. And I know what you were saying. They were kind of like the Patriots in a sense because no matter what the roster was, they had gotten it done. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, uh, just to cap this off uh, in terms of the Sharks play this year, this is all courtesy of the Athletic. Uh, the first point is they have been outscored 88-58 to 58 during 5-on-5 five five play for the second-worst percentage in the league, only better than the Red Wings. The Sharks' minus 25 goal differential is the third-worst mark in the league ahead of the Devils and Red Wings. Their power play is ranked 23rd overall in NHL at 16%. And for the second straight season, Martin Jones and Aaron Dell have combined for the lowest even-strength save percentage in the league at 878 while a Sharks 3-3-18 goals against average is 29th. Um, and the last point is the depth, which is what we touched on over the summer. 
Joe Thornton still hasn't scored a goal this year. Team Amar and Kevin LeBanc have been inconsistent, and their fourth line is basically nothing, which is all concerns we highlighted over the summer. And all those things, what can you point to there that has maybe the power play um, and the defensive structure in terms of giving up goals five on five, but really that's a combo of Wilson and DeBoer. And I guess my last question for you is, for a guy like DeBoer, he had success in New Jersey, brought them to the Stanley Cup final, had a lot of success with the Sharks. Uh, he leaves San Jose 198, 129, and 34. He's going to be, even I think, even more than Babcock, the number one head Big coaching time. candidate for any opening. Absolutely. I, I agree 100% with you. I, I and, think he is the front runner to get the N- next NHL job wherever he chooses because I'm pretty sure he had time left on his deal. In one more year at three mil. Yeah, so even if he takes the rest of the year off and he can decide over the summer where he wants to go, I think he will. Um, circling back to the Sharks real quick, Bob Bugner now in charge there. Uh, I thought Bugner did a pretty good job in Florida while he was there. Yeah, not uh, bad. No, not bad, but I, th- I thought the other part was Coach Q was there. He had that relationship with Dale Talon, so I think Talon knew Q would go there, so fire Bugner, bring in Q, understandable. But now I think it's going to be more as to can Bugner kind of right this ship a little bit because I thought he did a great job down in South Florida there, so hopefully he can be all right. And one other question for you because it seems that the whole league is now trending this way. How do you feel about every team in the sense of they have an assistant coach on their staff that could be a head coach in case they gas their guy? Because it seems like every team has that in place currently. Yeah, I mean, even the Rangers have that with Lindy Ruff. Technically, even though if Lindy Ruff was named head coach of this franchise, I would burn MSG to the ground. Um, But yeah, it's interesting, especially... It's a little more different with younger coaches. I think the veteran guys who have a reputation and have like a kind of a stranglehold on the head coaching job, like DeBoer apparently have for the last, what, five, six years. Um, They just want to bring in the best guys to run their units that they can trust. Um, But yeah, it is interesting, even for young guys or first-time head coaches in NHL, it's almost like a prerequisite to say who's going to be your quote-unquote assistant. Um, and speaking of that, our boy Roy is now the associate coach in San Jose because of this, and they brought on Richie and Evgeny Nabokov as well. Interesting. I, I know Roy has plenty of years of experience, and I, I wonder if that happens if that team's still in Worcester, to, to be honest, the whole cross-country move. Yeah. Maybe for them with the Barracuda already being in San Jose, not much has changed. And the all-time winningest AHL coach. Yeah, I mean, the the biggest thing with Roy is all the players he's been able to develop. So maybe they were looking at this lineup, like you said earlier, and their younger guys weren't really producing. Maybe Roy's able to go in there and find a way to help those guys contribute and, and get back into the way San Jose was, where they would build the farm, those guys would go up and play, and it made transition and everything a lot easier when you would lose guys. So maybe that was one of the biggest things going into this year. Yeah, and one last point about DeBoer. I don't care what happens. Unless they win the Stanley Cup this year or make like a surprising deep playoff run and these young guys start developing much, I am firing David Quinn this summer and hiring DeBoer from the Rangers. Ooh, all right. Like, thank you. Ring the hot take alarm. Ring it right now. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) 
thank you for your continued work with our young prospects and developing a pretty steady infrastructure in the locker room and everything else. But we are here to win a Stanley Cup, not coach young guys, and also just have the same, well, I tell them to shoot, but they don't listen, so I don't know what else to do, excuse after every fucking game. <laughs> Is this the Rangers we can review? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> uh, well, transitioning on to our next part of this week, we've had some things come out due to what has happened over the last few weeks in the NHL. Gary Bettman now implementing a four pillar system throughout the NHL for conduct as to what's okay, what's not okay. And then uh, your boy, Akeem Aliou, back in the uh, headlines. Do you want to take away? I could tell earlier you really wanted to talk about this. Yeah, uh, I'll start with the Bettman angle first because, I mean, of course, he's going to have to do something like this for a PR point of view and also to cover the NHL's asses for future lawsuits and shit. So, um, the four-point plan, a four-pillar plan is what he called it. Um, the first one is that teams will be required to immediately report any is- incidents of inappropriate behavior by club personnel that has been brought to their attention. Failure to do so, re- do so will result in severe discipline, according to Bettman. The second point is swift and severe punishment for those involved in any future or past incidents that are brought to the NHL's attention. The third is the formation of a disciplinary council that will be run under the direction of the NHL Executive Vice President Kim Davis. And a last point, a mandatory annual counseling program that all NHL coaches, assistant coaches, minor league coaches, GMs, and assistant GMs must attend. The program, which will be created by professionals in the field outside of the NHL, will focus on consciousness raising, education, and training on diversity and inclusion. And if you sense a tone in my voice, it's because I've worked in nonprofit for the last five, six years, and I am so tired of hearing these buzzwords. But go ahead, Kev. Give me your input on those pillars. I just don't get why something like this wasn't in place before. Like, it just seems shocking that now, <laughs> yeah. now we have to fucking implement it. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, shit, we shouldn't allow this. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that I was looking at was, do you think Bettman is afraid to enforce anything? Because now he wants oh, no. the teams to coach, well, the teams to enforce it and everything else. So now it's like he would rather the teams fire these people, like make it public what happened, fire them so he doesn't have to do it. Or do you, do you, do you smell it? it? It almost smells a little Roger Goodell-like where Ooh, he yeah. wants to enforce these strict penalties. He wants to do it. He wants to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. And I don't think he can do that. I I just, the NFL has a completely different code of Congress there that they have their PA, but in their contract, it says Roger Goodell has that right. Yeah. The NHL doesn't have that. That's why they have their PA and that's why they always go to battle every time. But like on a serious note, he gave these pillars, but he didn't give any examples of punishment. Just strict penalties are going to be enforced. So does that mean draft picks? Does that mean just fines? fines? Like, like I just want to know as to does Gary Bettman have the balls to do it? I think, dude, out of all the commissioners, I think Bettman gives the least amount of shits about public perception of himself. Well, I mean, look at him. He's fucking four foot five. <laughs> I mean, 
So for the interesting part of that is one, he also said that they're going to create a hotline so people, players in a league or whatever, or teammates, if they did you hear about that hotline too? Because people could call to express concern or to see if a thing was violated or not. So you know you could call that hot. Oh, please hold. Let me look in our rule book to see if something was violated. That's the thing, man. And I'm speaking from experience. The more you let outsiders into your organization whose sole purpose is to make money off of telling everybody what they do wrong and only they know how things should be run and how things are right, the more overhead, the more red tape, the more bureaucracy you're going to have and the more people are going to get frustrated with it and be turned off to the whole situation. So... The good intention is there, but I just know in the majority of these cases, there's a lot of resentment that gets built up the longer these programs are in place because of the people that run it, not for the people that it's supposed to protect. Um, But the interesting part is I think he's avoiding the Goodell situation because he said that there's going to be the council that's going to be run, but it's going to be directed by Vice President Kim Davis, not him. So I think he's taking that issue out of the media's hands and out of the fans' hands by saying, listen, I'm not Goodell here, but he's letting teams know that you can handle it in-house or we can, and if we handle it, it's going to be much worse for you guys. So I think it's kind of a mixture there. I just, It's interesting. I just hope whatever is brought in, it's not going to be one of those cliche uh, inclusion workshops. I hope not. I mean, if you're going to implement something and you want everyone to go to it and you want to take it seriously, I hope it's up to snuff. Like, you just don't want to see what, like you said, one of those inclusion workshops where, you know, what do you see here on this picture? And it's like a bunch of dots. And you're like, for fuck's (laughs) sake. Or a shark test or something. Yeah. Like, you know, we're here to get a point across as to, you, you know what? You don't have to be buddy buddy with your players. You, yeah. you can discipline your players, but please don't cross the line between racism, physical altercations, and homosexuality. Like, yeah. everything else, go for it. Th- those like, three things, don't touch. <laughs> and, and that's the thing, like, just so my point doesn't get misconstrued or misunderstood, I am fully on board with the NHL, like you said, finally coming around to the point of making a work environment for these players and the support staff and everybody involved in the game where they don't have to be stressed out about showing up to work and going on, I'm going to get bullied more. I'm going to get mocked for this. I'm going to get physically abused for this. I'm going to get sexually harassed for that. And they don't have to worry about it anymore. I'm all on board with that. I'm just speaking from experience of these outsiders, like the Bobs from Office Space coming in who's the only way they can make a living is by finding problems because if everything was being run well, they wouldn't be making money anymore. So I just have this inclination to not trust people whose livelihood is based on telling you that you continue to do things wrong. I agree completely. And now going to the fucking founding founding father of all this, Akeem Uh, Aliou, Benny, take it away. Yeah, so I know we touched on this the last two weeks, and last week we kind of had a little bit of a turn in our, uh, our outlook or our demeanor towards him once we saw the news that he hired Colin Kaepernick's law firm to represent him, and we're like, oh, God, is he in this for the money in the end? 
because his career is basically over. He hasn't signed a pro contract anywhere. Uh, well, today in the Athletic, there is an article that gave further context and quotes on what happened when he was a member of the Colorado Eagles and the ECHL. Um, they are now, I think they're associated with the Colorado Avalanche at this point. It's their AHL team. Uh, but at the time, just to give a brief context of this story, uh, there was a Halloween party where players, uh, staff, and coaches could show up. They could bring wives, families, whatever, friends. And one of the athletic trainers for the uh, organization dressed up like Akima Lou for Halloween. He got a custom jersey made with a Lou's nickname, which was the Dreamer. Uh, he bought a fake uh, Afro wig, but it was... Um, now I'm blanking on the hairstyle. The Mohawk Afro wig, like Evander Kane, essentially. Um, and then he put blackface on to be him. Now, right off the bat, that's fucking dumb to do. <laughs> like, whatever that trainer was thinking was dumb. My issue is, and I have a bunch of quotes that I'm going to read off to you. He says that, uh, it was eight years ago, by the way, that this happened. He's never mentioned it before. He's never told the Eagles organization. He never told anybody else about this, not even his, his agent. Um, but he said that at the party, they wanted him to take a photo with the trainer. And he said, quote, I wanted to keep it cool. I tried to keep it as calm as possible and tried to play it off. Obviously, a bunch of people asked for a picture. I obliged, not being very happy about it. And I ended up sneaking out and leaving the party while a lot of people didn't notice what I was doing. To be honest, um, there wasn't many things I enjoyed about being with the Eagles and being there. As you can imagine, it was super awkward. It was a super awkward situation for me after the party, but the saddest part is that most of the people there, especially the staff, did not un really understand the gravity of what happened and what occurred. I don't think they thought it was a big deal. That was the weird part to me. Okay, now my thoughts on those, that long quote. One, this trainer I actually ran across when we were for the Worcester Sharks. He's not a malicious person. In the same realm of that, he probably, and Akeem Alou even alluded to it, he came off like he didn't think there was anything wrong with trusting like Akeem Alou for Halloween. So if he doesn't think there's something wrong and you're offended by it, what would you do in that situation, Kevin? Go take pictures with him. Or would you say, hey, man, listen, I know you didn't mean anything by it, but that's really offensive to me. And it's like, I don't appreciate that at all. Can you scrub that shit off your face? Yeah, th that's not cool. Chill out. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure this guy would have said, holy shit, I didn't know. I'm sorry. He would have apologized profusely and taken the black shit off his face and would not have done it again. Instead, Akimalu, like his track record has been now for the last three weeks, encounters a situation that he doesn't like doesn't tell anybody, doesn't speak up for himself or others, and then sleeks out, slinks out of the room at, without saying a word and without standing up for himself. And now 10 years later comes out and goes, that was wrong. That's the first thing. The second thing here is they're talking about his career. And he says, at the end of the day, the reason why I am coming out on a lot of my past experiences is because I want to bring to light that there are issues in this game. I want to help the next generation of blacks, minorities, whatever it may be, to not have to go through what I went through. I'm going to have, probably for the rest of my life, 
a lot of sleepless nights knowing I didn't have the career that I knew I could have had. Who knows, maybe I still will. I'm not shutting the door. A lot of people are saying I'm retired. That's not true at all. I don't know where they're getting that information. I am 30 years old now, and I fully understand that. I do still think I have a lot of game in me, but I feel like, I ha- I feel like a lot of years were taken away from me. End quote. That's the biggest crux of my fucking issue with this dude right now. He waited until he has no job offers. He's played in the AHL, the NHL, the ECHL, Russia, Sweden, probably in your pickup roller hockey league if he had the opportunity to. He has no job this year. Now, this is the season he decides to come out with all this stuff. Now he's starting to hire Colin Kaepernick's law firm. Now he's starting to use the exact same language that Kaepernick used when he quote-unquote got blackballed by the NFL. I lost a lot of sleep knowing that I had a lot of career left that was taken away from me. All language of I deserve restitution for things that were taken from me because of racists. Again, nothing was owed to this dude. He was given opportunities before. He never said anything before. I'm pretty sure racism didn't keep Dustin Bufflin out of the National Hockey League or the AHL or Roman Endor or Kevin Weeks or Anson Carter or Donald Bashir or George LaRock or any of these other guys that somehow overcame all these barriers that the supremely talented Akeem Luke couldn't. So I don't want to hear his fucking sob story about things were taken away from him the year he's deciding that he doesn't have a professional contract offered to him anywhere on his fucking planet. The second part that really pisses me off is I agree with him on this sense. Minorities, blacks, don't, shouldn't have to deal with any of the stuff that he dealt with 10, 11 years ago. Who knows if they still even are when it comes to professional hockey. I'm sure that they still deal with it in Canada and juniors and everything else. They shouldn't have to deal with it ever. I agree. I'm glad he's speaking out on some of these issues and saying this is an actual lived experience that someone has actually gone through. But what bothers me, besides what I've already said, is he could have told the exact same story without dropping the name of this trainer who is now on administrative leave and his career is probably over because this trainer, in his mind, made an innocent mistake by wearing blackface when he even admits that he probably didn't even know what he was doing was wrong and he didn't tell the guy that what he was doing was wrong. But he'll wait 10 years to come out and now ruin this guy's fucking career for no reason. It doesn't serve his agenda at all in this instance by saying this guy's name. And I don't get it. This whole avenue and that last quote about things being taken away from me, I have no sympathy for this fucking guy. That's my rant. Uh, what's that quote about, um, like, imitation is the highest thing of flattery or something? The highest like form that? of flattery is, yeah, imitation. So this trainer probably really liked Akeem Alou and went out and he made a jersey and he got the wig and everything else. Probably because they were buddies. I mean, I wouldn't be doing that if I wasn't somebody's friend. Yeah. And to now, obviously, like, this might sound bad, but if he shows up without blackface, because I know this is where it's all going to go, and he has on the Dreamer shirt and just the wig, does Akeem Aliou know that it's him? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Did the trainer go too far? Maybe. There's there's a possibility of that. But at the same time, I'm with you that 
this guy probably did something to try to be his friend or they were friends. And instead of Akeem saying, dude, that's a little bit too much right then and there and could have nipped it in the butt. Like you said, he waits this long and now he's going to cost this guy his job. Yeah. And, and yeah, the whole the whole point is. Let's say. Let's take it a step further. They train. He shows up and he's wearing blackface, which I think is unacceptable at any time or any decade. But that's just my personal opinion. But let's say the trainer had no idea that that would be offensive to Alu. And he shows up and then Alu tells him that's offensive. If the trainer turned around and said, I don't care or I'm not taking it off. Different story. Different story. But if Alu told him and he took it off, there's one, okay, he didn't know. That's still fucked up that he did that. But at least he respected me enough when I told him something bothered me to stop doing it. And then he could still use that story and go, I experienced this without having to drop the guy's name still. And the third part is, you're saying that a trainer wearing blackface, when he, you even admit that he didn't know what he was doing might have been offensive, is preventing you from playing hockey at age 30 because some good old Canadian boy who's an athletic trainer has that much clout in a fucking league? Can I just throw something out there just just to be devil's advocate? Uh, let's say this trainer and Akimalu were boys, which we think they might have been. I mean, usually everyone on the team is pretty close. Uh, what if Alou wanted to dress up as him as Halloween? So he gets a nice little white polo shirt, a thing of khakis, a little fanny pack, w- wears a pair of gloves, and then he goes white face to a party. Is Is that the same thing? Is that now offensive or is that now funny because he's imitating someone? Yeah, I mean... When it comes to that, like, I'll be honest from my point of view and say that it's all about the connotation with it. And again, my nonprofit mind is taking over here. There's not a severely racist connotation towards somebody wearing powder, a black person wearing powder on their face to be white as there is with a white person wearing blackface. Um, I, I wouldn't be offended in any of these instances, but like if... If my friend Phil from college showed up to a Halloween party in white powder, I would probably get a powdered donut and smack him in the face and, hey, you need a little bit more on there. I wouldn't sit there and go, I I need to leave. I'm so awkward and I'm not going to sleep tonight because of this and I need to sneak out of here because I don't want to cause a problem. Like, I don't, I have no sympathy for people like that. And like you just touched on, we've we've been in rooms our entire lives. This is how people bullshit with each other and rag on each other and bust each other's balls. I'm not saying like wearing blackface, but like you, t- you, you take it as far as you can until you hit that line. And then that person tells you you've hit that line and you go, okay, that's just, I need to step back a little bit here. Sorry about that, buddy. That's how it's handled. I don't, between this, not handling it then and there, between the refusing to take part in the quote unquote rookie hazing that led to that Steve Downey fight. Between dropping this guy, this guy sounds like a fucking asshole. And that's a t- entirely, like, I feel like you can differentiate between the person who experienced these things that he shouldn't have experienced, which I'm on the page, same page with him, and him as a person. What he experienced, he shouldn't experience, no one else should have to experience after him, but he's also an asshole in my mind. 
for the love of God, tell me the Rangers won at least two games this week and it could bring you back down. <laughs> um, they did win two games this week. Well, since we last recorded, they won. I guess this is Rangers and Bruins week in review. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so last week we recorded, the Rangers were playing at Blue Jackets. Panarin's return home to Columbus. Uh, he got the game-winning goal there. They won 3-2. to two. They lost the next night at home to the Canadians, who were, I think at that point I lost eight in a row and 11 of 15, so congrats on that one. Uh, they then go back out onto the West Coast and curb stomp the Vegas Golden Knights 5 nothing, who they just lost to at home the week before. And then they go and lose to the worst team in the Western Conference, the Los Angeles Kings, 3-1. to It looked absolutely like a semen pile of dog shit doing so. Um that's the results for the games that they've played since we last recorded. I guess a few of the takeaways, the goaltending is still standing on their head. Uh, Hank missed three straight games because of an illness, so he was uh, the backup. Uh, the Blue Jackets even had a call on an emergency goaltender just in case uh, Georgiev couldn't play, and Hank wasn't up to it. Um, but Georgiev has played extremely well lately. I think he, at one point he stopped 153 of 100 and. 57 shots over his last five or so starts. That's pretty good. Um, which, again, goes to show you how many shots these goaltenders are facing in New York. Um, Hank played against the Kings. They lost 3-1. One of those goals was an empty netter. The other two were no fault of his own because of shocking defensive zone structure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at this point, Savannah Jets back. Panarin's still playing like he has been. It's kind of getting into same old story territory for the Rangers here in terms of the same guys are playing well. The same guys are going through the motions. Buchnevich is going through the motions. He's not playing smart hockey. Kreider is nearly invisible for 59 minutes a game. And then he'll make one burst up the wing or he'll make one nice pass like he did to Panarin for a goal in Los Angeles. And they're like, oh, Chris Kreider's playing in this game. Um... Brady Shea and Jacob Trouba are playing well in the first pair. Like I said, goaltending is doing well. But to be honest, it's the same Achilles heel of what's the coaching structure that Quinn is instituting here. He's telling guys, shoot the puck, they're not shooting the puck. They're making the same inconsistent mistakes as we enter mid-December as they were in early September. So I don't know how much growth is being accompanied uh, with his coaching style there. And also the PK in defense, which has been atrocious this year, and it's run by Lindy Ruff. So I'm not exactly sure where they go from here. That's why when the Sharks fired DeBoer, my interest peaked, and I was like, hmm, that's very interesting in terms of maybe bringing in a guy that can take them to that next level and institute significant Stanley Cup contender structure that he had in New Jersey and San Jose. So um, pretty light for Rangers Week in Review. They're playing the Sharks tonight, actually. It's the first game that uh, Bobby Bugner has taken over for DeBoer in San Jose, so that should be interesting. We're probably going to get blown out because of the new coaching, the coaching getting fired bump that teams usually get. Um, but yeah, it's just been a lot of the same old, and it's getting to the point where something has to change, whether it's the players that Jeff Gorton gives Quinn uh, leading up to and after the trade deadline this year and over the summer, because Quinn wants a more north-south game and shoot first mentality, but he has a team full of 
perimeter players who like to just dangle at the blue line and not play north-south hockey. So either the coach has to change or the roster has to change. And I think Ranger fans and a Ranger organization are getting tired of changing players every year um, at the deadline. So we'll see which, which breaks first, the coach or the roster. All right. Well, this week for Bruins Week in Review... We have the quote-unquote falling from grace because, you know, they lost a couple of games over the past week. Um, Big Z getting into two fights. Big Z, not very happy lately. Uh, happy that he went at it with Wilson, though. Just not a big fan of Tom Wilson. So I wish he pounded him. Yeah, the, the problem with Z when it comes to fighting is he doesn't know how to switch hands. He just holds on because there was one point if he ended up going lefty on Wilson, he would have just killed him there. Like... He would have had three right down Main Street, just would have cold-cocked Wilson. So I, I might have to square up with Z just to give him a couple of pointers, you know. But <laughs> going the other way, the skid a little bit right now, uh, kind of something what I expected more at the beginning of the year, a little Stanley Cup hangover type thing, a very long season last year. Going forward, a lot of this stuff, yet again, I, I've said it every time on the show, is them not playing a 60 minute game the whole Chicago thing they were behind they were behind and then in the last two minutes they, they end up tying the game they go to overtime uh big huge controversial thing that the Bruins fans were throwing trash on the ice because David Pasternak who to me in this I don't think it was a penalty I thought Jonathan Taves gave him a little cross check at the hips looked like pasta kind of a little weak on his skates maybe caught an edge went fell down Taves goes down end-to-end, scores a breakaway goal, ends it in overtime. Bruins fans litter, litter the ice with shit. Like, be better, please. Like, uh, we got dominated by Colorado. There's no other way around that one. They just were the better team. They gave it to us. Uh, Washington last night. Washington has our number. Like, let, let's face the facts. I, I believe the stat I read this morning was Washington is – has won the last 16 out of 17 or 17 out of 18 games against the Bruins. Jesus Christ. Yeah, just they have our number. We don't match up well with them. That's not good for a potential conference final matchup. No, not good at all. Uh, One issue I do have just with the NHL in general is this whole challenging and offside rule. Oh, yeah, I saw that, man. I, I just think that it has to be the entry on which the goal was scored because... Now people are chasing back plays that happened three minutes ago. And I understand product-wise, the NHL wants to get the product right. And I get that. I appreciate that. I feel like the NFL does that as well. They do a really good job at times. It takes a long time with referees under the tent making sure they get the call right. But at the same time, hockey is a lot different than football. It's a lot faster of a sport. So if you missed a call three minutes ago, I don't think you can go back and make it up three minutes later. I feel like it has to be an offside call on the entry on which the goal was scored. Because when you go back, you're just chasing shit. And now you're going to put more time back on the clock going backwards. So to me, it's like it has to be strictly for that. We got one called back again last night. That has to be our fourth, if not fifth goal called back this year on offsides. And I'm pretty sure every single one of them not relevant or on the play on which the goal was scored so it happened previously another change of possession another change of possession 
and they go back and they challenge it and they end up winning. I just to yeah, me, last night, what was what like they had to add twenty seven seconds or something to the game clock. Yeah, which isn't bad, but I, but I've seen three minutes go up. I've seen a couple, so it's just like it just has to be on that play. Just all the other things just drive me crazy. Like I I, I can't go back to that. Like if you go through and you have five minutes of nonstop hockey. And then you say, oh, well, look here. I mean, we didn't have a whistle, but they were offside on this play. I mean, they didn't score till four minutes later. Then you challenge it, and then it goes all the way back. Like, I, I just feel it has to be strictly for that play. That That's the only thing Agreed. for me. Um, going forward, forward, I mean, Berge is currently back. As for how long, who knows? Currently playing Tampa. When I came down here, we were winning one nothing at the start of the second. I didn't see the update yet. Is he fought uh, Patrick Maroon? Who fought Patrick Maroon? Big Z. Oh, I didn't even see it. I, I was yeah. buzzing around before we started doing this. So Yeah, it was a pretty even fight until the very end, and then Chara landed. It look, didn't look like much, but he landed a nice right, and Maroon kind of just slowly uh, like knelt down onto the ice and for the linesman to get involved. So I think he took one right on a kiss and was like, oh, shit. Well, actually, I see it right now. A little bit of an update. Uh, third period, 1-1, one, one, uh, 17 and a half left. So we'll see what happens there. What are your thoughts on Brett Ritchie getting second line right wing time? Uh, very intriguing, to be honest. Um, he is a physical presence, which I do think David Krejci likes there. I just think at the same time that I think he needs to be a little bit better offensively as opposed to physical in that sense. I don't know. It, it's tough because while Berge was out, the other guys were separated, Martian and Pasta, and they did okay. With Berge back, everybody comes back together. Obviously, you want your power line. Are you better off scattering them? I don't know. Like We'd have to see with Berge in the lineup if that's beneficial for us or not. Uh, Brett Ritchie, though, not a numbers guy because asked about uh, the Bruins losing streak, and he said... Uh, well, obviously, in an 82-game season, we weren't going to go 80-3. and three. So, um, <laughs> Tory Krug then responded to one of the tweets that came out and said, stay in school, kids. <laughs> so, at least uh, some fun going on in the locker room. The boys are keeping it light. Uh, I think a win tonight is huge because then you go over and you play Florida on Saturday night on your Florida swing. I, I think even though Tampa is struggling... On they're paper, to turn a corner a little bit. On paper, they're still a very good team. So, if you can steal one tonight down there, I think it at least makes you wusa a little bit. You get out of the skid, you go down, you play Florida, another big Atlantic Division game. So yeah, I I think tonight is very huge for us. A little, you know, <laughs> breathe in, breathe out. Did you get a chance to read the uh, Tim Thomas article that I shared on our Facebook page about his first? So tonight, he was at the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame induction. He was uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame there. And it was his first public appearance and comments since 2014 when he stepped away from the game. Uh, and I don't know if you got a chance to read it. He actually talked about how he suffered a really bad concussion and he went through depression and everything else and he didn't talk to anybody for years. And this is, he hasn't watched hockey, nothing. Um, but if you, get a, if you haven't had a chance, I recommend taking a look at that. All right. Um, do we have any history for today? 
We do have history for today. Uh, 1942, for December 12th, the Boston Bruins defeat the Montreal Canadiens 3-2 in the first afternoon game in Boston Bruins history. The game's proceeds are donated to the American Red Cross. And lastly, in 1999, Patrick Waugh earns his 424th NHL victory to pass Tony Esposito for third place in the all-time list. Blast from the past, he gets the win when Milan Hayduke scores at 136 of the overtime period to give the Avalanche a 3-2 road win against the Vancouver Canucks. All right. Um, Shout-outs this week, or do you want to make a pick? I mean, it's pretty quick turnaround. Um, I mean, obviously, shout-outs, First Lady. Uh, Shout-out to you for flexible t- scheduling for this week's podcast since I have been swamped with work and was out of commission basically Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So much appreciated. Um, and I'm going to give a shout out. This is a shout out and slash a prediction that I'm trying to combine into one to save some time here. I'm going to go happy trails to the next NHL head coach that I think is going to get fired. Bruce Bujo. Oh, all right. They were starting to get it together a little bit. So you think falling back off? Yeah, I think at some point it's just the hot streak ends. And then it's just, what are we doing with this team as they get closer to the deadline? And, I don't think Boudreaux is the guy you keep around for a rebuild. All right, fair enough. Uh, Shout-outs this week, as always. Big Red, the apple of my eye. Uh, Big Kev came over earlier. He brought a little Needham to Tuxbury, so we have a very nice, beautiful uh, blue tree in our front yard, so everyone nice. that drives by can see that. Uh, since we're talking about teams and everything, uh, since the firing of Bill Peters, the Calgary Flames on fire on a six-game win streak. Seems like the team's turned it around a little bit. Currently third in that Pacific division. They don't like playing for racists. Hey, I mean, <laughs> n- not a bad thing, as they'd say. So um, Jeff Ward currently right in the ship. And on the other end, I mean, I picked them in our preseason thing to win the Stanley Cup this year. So hopefully they can uh, do that. I-, I would like that because then I'd get... I would very much like that. <laughs> yeah, I would get about a quarter, a quarter of credibility to my name. So that would be very nice. But everybody, as always, thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. Uh, We're still trying to figure out next week's recording date. might be a Thursday again, hopefully a Monday. We'll see what happens. Thank you for listening. We will catch all you guys next week. And until then, we're just going to be like Morgan Wallen and all these old NHL coaches, you know, all these last week fired garbage, just, just chasing you, chasing that job. We'll catch you guys next week. Talk about LA. I heard you got as far as Santa Fe. The way you know I tried to track you down. I only got as far as Guitar Town. Singing about a girl I used to know. Used to know. Used to know. That I haven't given up. I'm just on your radio. Chasing you like a shot of whiskey. Chasing that feeling that got gone too soon Chasing that you